Hi, welcome to another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. Steve's Speed Shop is brought to you by WarrantyWise, the UK's best warranty provider. Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk. We're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles. They're in the business of pre-loved Harley-Davidson motorcycles. They've been at it for 35 years, and you can find them on Facebook at West Coast Motorcycles. And we're brought to you by Minisports. Anything and everything for the classic mini since 1967. Alex Reed Entwistle is a car dealer specialising in the very finest motor carriages. When you find out how many Rolls-Royce and Bentley motor cars have passed through his hands over the last 30 years, you will be gobsmacked. More than that, though, he is an enthusiast, and I know that because he spends his whole week selling cars and then at the weekend, he's always at car events, so he must love them. Uh, I've known him for a few years now. He's a very funny guy. He's a great storyteller. And he's my guest this week on Speed Show. Do you prefer... What what version of your name do you prefer? Do you prefer Alec or Alex or, or which do you prefer? Alex Alex is the, is, is the preference. Yeah, okay. Um, well, we'll go... F- we'll, it's yeah, better than Bastard or that little <laughs> shit second-hand car dealer. <laughs> Alex, how much do I owe you? A fortune. A fortune. Well, you say that, but I got a message from you after I'd appeared on another radio show um, unexpectedly. Well, not unexpectedly. I'm on there quite a lot. It's quite... I'm not going to say what it... All right, it was a Jeremy Vine show. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's it has the biggest share of any... That's a radio term, but it means the biggest percentage of whoever's listening at any time of any radio show in the UK. And uh, I enjoy I enjoy listening to it when I'm not on it, but obviously I do enjoy being on it. And apparently, Alex, I said something controversial. I can't remember what you said, but yes, I, you, I was doing something and I, I remember coughing my, my coffee across the bonnet of a car. <laughs> I, can't remember, I can't remember what you, what you uh, said. I thought, I thought you said you'd scratched it. Well, we probably shouldn't revisit what I said. I'll see what it was. No, go on, remind me what you said. Right, okay. So this, this very prim and proper, well-spoken um, female counsellor, which is not what it means in a lot of places. When I've mentioned the council and councillors to Americans, they think it involves telling them about the relationship that you had with your mother. (laughs) But of course, it actually means like the town council. And she was complaining about bikers who'd been riding out to this particularly nice part of North Yorkshire. And she said that she told Jeremy that, uh, not Clarkson, Vine, she told Jeremy that um, when she'd approached them to lecture them on the error of their ways... They told her to f off. So, if you remember, Jeremy had suggest yeah. had asked me what I would have told her, and I'd basically said, "I think I would have told you to f off as well." And that made the, maybe the bit where your uh, your finest. Yeah, but I, I think the problem with people like that is they have no enemies; they're just intensely disliked by their friends, <laughs> but they've got no experience of. Motor cars and bikes. I mean, you know, you want somebody to be in PPE, somebody sitting on a bike with leathers on, a helmet on, and gloves is going to be less harmful than somebody who's walking or cycling or walking around Tesco. 
You make a very good point, and I think it, I think the reason I say that is because it was exactly the point that I, that I made at the time. But we we should move on from that incident, and I'm glad that you at the time you said you'd scratched the car, but now you now you're backtracking. So what was the car, by the way? I would imagine it was uh, the, a crew product. No, it wasn't. Ah. No, it, it 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 was probably the world's worst mass-produced kit car. Oh, hold on. Uh, right, so let me try and guess what that was. The world's worst mass-produced kit car, would it be Lotus 7-ish? No, no, we're going in the right direction. Go, go across the country a little bit away from Norfolk. A little bit away from Norfolk, and I think I'd find myself in the East Midlands. So, so is close, it close to the M1? Close to the M1, right? It's not a Robin Hood, was it? No, no, no. It was that a, was a pretty, that was a pretty good geographical shift, though, Alex. Come on, it was. It was, yeah. it was, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean Robin Hood is what us car dealers get called usually, isn't it? Well, here's the thing. Um, you hold on. You just before we move on to what this car was, you call your you describe yourself as a car dealer, and you you're very self-deprecating. You're very funny, very funny man as well, in my experience. But you're very self-deprecating, unlike a lot of car dealers. Um, but you're not a car dealer because I've shook your hand. Your hands are calloused with work. You are, I mean, you know, I'm not saying you've got dirt under your fingernails, but it's quite clear. There's a, my father, what, what my father would say to most car dealers if he shook their hand was, ooh, off his hands. Do you know what that means? When you can tell yeah, somebody, no. somebody does no manual work and it's, it's almost like shaking hands with a woman. <laughs> Hey, I shook hands with Joan Collins once, Alex. And I wrote. And was, it, was, it, was it soft and gentle and wonderful? Well, I wrote about it afterwards because there were only three people in the room at the time. I was one of them, and the other two were Sir Norman Wisdom and Joan Collins. Yes, it was a strange day. And when I wrote about it afterwards, I said, shaking hands with Dame Joan was like being handed a, a small songbird that had recently died. It was kind of a oh, soft, warmish... I don't want to be mean to her, but uh, Sir Norman was a lot more fun. He was a he was a car man and Alex a Rolls Royce man as well, wasn't he? He was. He was a, he was a Rolls and uh, and more so Bentley Bentley man. I mean, I'm just wondering, were you all sitting in the waiting room of the councillor's office in the American style of councillor? <laughs> Can you imagine? I was right. So I was. In, I've been in a green room with two other people twice. We, we should explain a green room is. It's never green, by the way. It, I think. Somebody painted a green room green once because I think it was the BBC because uh, a doctor had told them that it made people feel calm and it's before they'd appear on the radio or the television. So if they were civilians, as as we might say, um, then they would they would be calmed by the green walls and the green furniture. But I've been in I've been in two and I've thought, is this really happening? And and there was that one with Sir Norman and Dame John. And the other one was a really, really small green room, and in it were me, Jenny Agata, and John Malkovich. And I thought, it was a tiny room, and I thought, is this actually happening? And I'll, t- I'll just tell you a quick anecdote about that. It was so weird, because John Malkovich got out a cigar case and got out a small, I, I won't call it a cigar, a cheroot, if you will. And I thought, you've got to be joking. And, you know, I mean, you can't do that now, even if you are John Malkovich. <laughs> and Jenny Agatha, and for men of a certain age, come on, is there more, is there a more evocative presence than Jenny Agatha? There can't be. I mean, come on, the railway children, 
uh, was she in Equus? She was. She was in that Logan's Run, all that sort of thing. For a, a British man of a certain age, she's just about the top of the tree. Maybe Joanna Lumley as well. But anyway, as soon as he got it out and she saw it, she went, "I don't think so." And she said it just like like that. Like you should have seen how quickly he stuffed it back in his pocket. Well, I thought that's that's a good anecdote. I'll t- I'll tell it at some time in the future. And it is now the person. The person you didn't expect to be standing on a railway line waving her petticoat, being the cigarette police in the green room. Exactly. I can't remember what it was. It was somewhere in London. It was probably something to do with the television. What um, what was that kit car? Come on, tell us. It's not actually a kit car. It is Aston Virage. Oh, now, wow. Wow. The, vi- the Virage was... That sort of unwanted love child when <laughs> Ford acquired Jaguar and then Ford acquired Aston Martin and realised that they'd been building the Aston since about 1972 and they needed to update the model. And so they got this car... And Astons are not my thing. I'm, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say I'm not a lover of Astons, partly because the people who buy them all refer to each other as fellows and chappies, wear, wear moleskin trousers, and have perfectly managed to put a pullover over their shoulders and make it stay there. <laughs> They've got Velcro on them, Alex. There's, that's how they do it. But you look at those cars, and, for, I mean... People of our age group, the first thing you notice, Volkswagen Schrocker rear rear lights. Mm. Headlights, Audi 100. Indicators, Porsche 944. You get inside the car. All the switches are off a Ford Fiesta. Everything. The air conditioning, XJ6 Jaguar. Do you know the other thing? thing Go on, the other. Is it still got the proper Aston V8 engine in it? Do you know what that car does, which is it's quite rare, and it looks really odd. And, and I was writing about the Don't Laugh, the Lancia Beta. I, yep. I, was, I was writing a, a, um, a piece for Auto Italia magazine about, about the Beta and about how it, it, it's an interesting car for all kinds of reasons because it shows the difference between a company like, Alex, do you say Lancia or do you say Lancia? Lancia. Yeah, I say Lancia. And when I hear somebody say Lancia, I just think, do you do you go to Milano? Do you go to Torino? No, you go to Milan and Turin. So stop saying Lancia. You only get to say that if you are actually Italian, in which case you should <laughs> say it like that. Let's not get on to Porsche. Anyway, and what that car did, the Beta, which is what the Varange does, is it had almost the whole of the exhaust pipe on display. When you look at that car, you look at the back and you go, do I want to see those mild steel boxes exposed in quite that manner? Could they not be a bit more... I mean, it is a kit car. We we were doing this show. We had a guy on called Mick Honest, a car dealer. Like, I was going to say like yourself. I, I can't think of two people less alike, but a very entertaining man nonetheless. And he took me drinking after we did the podcast, after we did the show. Podcast, whatever it is. And uh, he's a big, big man. And so... In his hand, a pint of beer looks like he's drinking it out of a child's tippy cup. And I couldn't keep up with him. We got <laughs> we got six or seven in. 
and then we chanced across a virage in the street in Manchester, parked up right in the, in the centre. And uh, we were, like you, identified, going round the car and going, yeah, that's Audi, oh, yeah, they're VW. <laughs> But was was it a successful car at the time? They didn't make they didn't make very many of them, did they? At the time, it was a very successful car because um, Aston had been obviously in the problems that it has had, which led to it being sold. Um, it was the new car. I remember going to the motor show um, and bumping into a guy called, I'm going to say it was called Edward Woodward, but I think it was Edward Woodard, um, who at the time was um, a TV presenter, who as a youngish kid, 1988, just sort of took me onto the stand and walked around the car with, with me. It was a silver car. And this was a big wow car. Yeah. Um because it was new for Aston, it was very much the poster car. It had sort of quite an air of a Mustang to it, with that sort of quite fat-looking car, but with its arse sticking up in the air and the two exhaust pipes, as you said, exposed, essentially giving two fingers to <laughs> anybody following the car. Um, nice interior. I'll give them that. A f- a very dated, that kind of pipe leather really dates it, doesn't it? The one that we, that Mick and I saw in the street was a very dark blue, and it had um, it's it's a cream cream leather with blue piping, which uh, some people will be reaching for the sick bucket right now. But and it is very much of his time. But I don't mind that. I don't mind. I don't mind a nineties car, a late eighties car at all. But they seem to be they seem to be largely unloved by the cognoscenti. Well, I'm I'm not an I've got to say I'm not an Aston lover, and it was only by chance I'd ended up with this car. They sound great, they drive well. Um, the the looks is now beginning to come back into its own because it's very much an a late eighties, early nineties look. But in the same way, you look at a Testarossa. That, at the time, was a big wow car, looked like a mouth organ at the back. It was wide, it was low. Then they became unpopular, and you could buy one for probably £15,000, £18,000. And now, they're suddenly a £100,000 car. But the fashion and the styling has come back into its own. The same with, with the Virage. The fashion and the styling has come in. Obviously, they facelifted them in the middle of the production, to soften them a little bit more and alter the engine and went to those sort of um, round, almost like half a grapefruit type rear lights um, at the at the back. But there's a whole revolution now, or, or should I say renaissance, of that period of car that's come back in. Well, let me try this one on you. I saw one in the street yesterday. I swear to God, I didn't. I just didn't prepare this at all. Didn't engineer this bit of the chat. But I saw one in the street yesterday. I hadn't seen one for ages, and I thought that car has really come into its own. DB7, yes. the, the much maligned DB7. But I, I don't actually know 
why they were maligned. I mean, that's... Because it's an XJS. It's an XJS in a, in a Savile Row suit. Well, I'll tell you this. The Virage that I have at the moment is a convertible car. Oh. And it, ne- it, it doesn't look comfortable convertible. It looks a lot better coupe. Yet, it's convertible classic Aston for under 100 grand. Mm. The DB7 is one of the few cars of that period that looks as good convertible as it does a saloon, or coupe, should I say. I had the, one of the very first ones, which had actually came to me from a very, at the time, famous pop singer, um, which is pretty bloody amazing, because he couldn't drive, but that seemed to be a detail. <laughs> and, and I remember taking a girl out on a date in it, and it was metallic, the burgundy red, uh, very early car, and it was manual. And at the time, I had a 3.6 XJS manual, and they were exactly the same car to drive. Yeah. The only thing that was different was when you turned round and you actually glanced back and you looked at the car and you realised, yes, it had Mazda lights turned upside down at the back, but it was a fantastically good-looking car for the time. Yeah, but I think I think all cars, not all cars, some cars never go out of style, but I think a lot of cars go through a period where, I wrote this in a piece the other day, they are... Drainpipe trousers in a world of flares, loons, and Oxford bags. They, 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 you know, in the same way that I mean, at the moment, men's suiting here in the UK, we've mentioned this person, seems to take its inspiration from Norman Wisdom, <laughs> or perhaps Alexis Sale in the eighties. Men <laughs> seem to think that the thing to do when buying a suit of clothes is to buy something two or three sizes too small for them. Now I realise this is fashion, but. I say to them, young men, when you... I'm like Brian Clough, do you remember him? Young man. (laughs) When you look back at the photos of you and your mates from now, you will cringe in the way that there was a time in the 70s when every British man looked ridiculous. Most British men looked ridiculous. And there are times where everyone looks great. There are are sweet spots. When my mum and dad were courting and got married, it was the early 60s they look great you know you look at them my dad looks great simple slim cut black suit white shirt black tie slick back hair nothing's too wide nothing's too narrow nothing's too pointy and so i've never looked at those pictures of them in the 70s like everybody else they went crazy and my dad started wearing beige safari suits <laughs> with <laughs> With crazy brown and orange shirts, with the collar of the shirt one on the outside of the jacket lapels, and a, gr- a dirty great big medallion. When I knew, when I saw him putting his medallion on, I knew he was off. He was off out, and it was serious. And as soon as I saw the medallion go on, I knew it would be accompanied very shortly by the pungent aroma of high karate aftershave. <laughs> so you, it could you know, have been worse. Could have been old spice. <laughs> well. It, my dad didn't want to use those spikes because he wanted to be fashionable. And, and this is the point with cars. I mean, I was behind a, a, a car, I didn't even know what it was. And I thought, that thing looks pre-crashed. It was like, you know, it, lo- it looked like it had been bought and it had already been involved in a serious RTA. It was, of course, a Honda Civic Type R. And I thought, all of that crazy architecture 
and all those ducks and, and spoilers and diffusers and whatever probably look great right now. In three or four years' time, nobody will want a car that looks like that. It's going to age so fast. But I guess the people who make them don't care because the second or third or 18th owner down the line, they couldn't care less. All they're interested you're, you're forgetting. You're forgetting something. The Honda is the world's most confusing car because the Honda Civic is bought by two groups of people. Youngsters who decide to drag race them down dual carriageways when nobody's about, having ram-raided Halfords and stuck every accessory known to God on them. <laughs> or eight-year-olds who've never managed to get them into top gear on the automatic box who crawl around the supermarkets. Well, the best There's ex- nobody in the middle who yeah. buys a Honda Civic. You make a very good point. But, the, of course, the best example of that in the whole of automotive history is AC, isn't it? Because they made two cars. They made the Cobra, infamously, and they made the invalid carriage. (laughs) They made made the three-wheel death trap invalid carriage that was disgracefully provided to to handicapped people to get around. Thank goodness that's gone. Which would... It was an unstable and dangerous thing, but those were the only two cars that AC made. There's a car that looked better as a convertible than a hardtop, the AC Cobra. The AC AC Cobra has been a fantastic car. The biggest problem that I've had from a car dealing point of view, I'm I'm very lucky because I have my hobby as my business. So when I go back into my childhood, um, I would go to my grandfather, who'd been um, a huge car enthusiast at home. Was he, a medic- and... was he a medical man like your father? No, no, he wasn't. My, my grandfather was an architect. Right. Um, he, had, uh, he was an only child, and he had been taught to drive by the family chauffeur. Mm. And at the age of 14, uh, promptly stole the family car or I don't think it was Stephen stealing in those days, he took the family car and traded it in for... No, that's stealing. Alex, if you trade, if you... I I was talking um, last week, I think, about two guys that I met in Florida who were lifelong friends in their 80s, still riding motorcycles. One was a businessman, one was an artist. The businessman supported the artist by buying all of his work just so they could pal around and ride motorbikes together. And they showed me <laughs> photographs of their adventure when they were 15 years old and they stole their father's motorcycles and rode to Florida from New York at 15 years of age on these giant Harley-Davidson and an Indian motorcycle. When they got back, they were put in jail. <laughs> they were put in juvenile hall, you know, like juvie, as they used to say in James <laughs> Dean movies. So, and guess what they didn't do? They didn't trade in their father's motorcycles. They took them back. Your grandfather stole, stole a motorcycle, stole a car, no, 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 car and sold car, it. Car, car. No, I stole the car, no. and he yeah. sold it. That is stealing. And, no doubt about and, it. And, and he acquired... Um, an Austin 7 Ulster body. Now, we're going back, this is about 1917, 19, 
um, 20, that sort of time. Um, and strange enough, I was looking for some photographs for a mutual acquaintance of ours yesterday and came across a photograph of him with that car. Wow. Um, but he was a, a car man, uh, but he was an architect by profession. And probably his greatest um, thing, other than designing all of the air raid shelters in Manchester, um, was he did a number of the corporation bus depots. But being a car man, he'd actually designed them like his own dream garage. Well, there was so he so... had illum- yeah. illuminated pits. Yeah. He had cutouts in the walls of the pits for all the tools they would need to service. I was going to say, Alex, when I drive around, particularly around the northwest, I see the old, as you say, corporation bus garages and think, was there ever, was there a need for them to be so elaborate and so lovely? I'm not complaining. Please don't think I am. I think it was, it was one of the greatest things that um, these places of industry, whether it be a mill or a garage or whatever, were beautifully built and had fantastic design. But that was that was him, was it, that decided they should be like... Well, presumably it was... There was a lot of competition. There was a lot of civic pride back then, wasn't there, mate? It was like, if Bolton had a really nice bus garage, then Oldham or Stockport would go, oh, we've, got to, we've got to have a better one than them because, you know, <laughs> you know, we've got to. And so they would. It was civic pride, just like you drive around and you see... They always say, don't they, that Hitler had his eye on Rochdale Town Hall. It's meant to be true that, you know. Hitler had seen he'd seen Rochdale Town Hall because he came to Britain to visit his brother who lived in Liverpool. And he on the train he saw Rochdale Town Hall and later on he marked it down. He thought, I'm having that. <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll <laughs> ship that back ship that back to the mother country. Um thank goodness he he, he never got to do that. But um But but we always we always have looked at the negatives of Hitler in that period of time. Alex, where are but we what? going? Where are we going with this, mate? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, hang on. Let's just step back. You look at what the Germans in that period of time did with, say, Auto Union, Mercedes. Well, there's Those just be- cars yeah. were twenty years ahead of their time. Yeah, there's just been a program, hasn't there? There's just been a documentary made that Hitler's supercars. It was on television. I don't watch television. Um, but it was on, uh, I'll probably catch up with it, it was on a couple of days ago. Um, Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, what happens, whether it's aviation or it's any kind of technology, when there's a limitless budget, when they just say, okay, win at all costs, and you look at sport, and it's one of the reasons that, um, that I'm not a big football fan anymore. I was. My grandfather sounds quite a bit like yours, he was born in 1900. He was what they used to call a sporting gent. He played a bit of football for Berry. He had three fights as a boxer, professional. Prof- hang on, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Berry, isn't it Borough? <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's, a, it's the smallest metropolitan borough in Britain, Berry. But um, it depends which end of it you come from. Because it's like Britain, and this is why I do find Britain the most fascinating place on the planet it's a place of great contrasts you can drive top to bottom of the town if the traffic's good in about half an hour 
But at the top, you will be looking at sheep and dry stone walls. You will be on the moors. You'll be in a bleak landscape with hardly anything in it except for you and the sheep. When you get to the south southerly part half an hour later, you'll be in the rows and rows of terraced houses that you see on the opening credits of Coronation Street. You'll be in, in post-industrial Manchester, effectively. And that's within 12, 13 miles that there's that contrast. And I think that's Britain all over. It is a land of great contrasts, isn't it? I think it is. And I think certainly I have a lot of people come from all over the world to see me. Um, there are a couple of things that they always notice is the roads are very windy. Because uh, the man who's coming from, say, the US, he's used to big, wide, straight roads. Um, people from uh, the Far East, again, they're used to much wider, larger roads. Our roads are animal trails, which then got adopted and altered with tarmac over the years to become the roads we have today. But they follow some very, very strange routes, and I, therefore they're I, winding. I was driving back. When I saw that DB7, I was in Sheffield uh, last night, and I had to get back to Cheshire to near the Open Park race circuit. And my journey was on a road which you would have paid to drive on. A lot of people would have travelled a long distance just to be put in a car. Forget the Nürburgring. Why are you going there? You drive from Sheffield to Northwich, and I can tell you of, I'm sure you can, two dozen other journeys between two towns. Never mind Scotland or Wales, which have got even better roads than England. They've got some amazing roads, although Scotland does seem particularly afflicted. The, the worst thing about Scotland, midges and speed cameras. <laughs> the insects and, and the parasites. Yeah, I'm making, a, I'm making a connection there. Bloody speed cameras. But do you think that that's... Well, I'm asking you the question. I think I know what the answer will be. Do you think that the unique nature of our roads, in that they were all here before the motor... Most of them, the vast majority of the roads were here before the motor car... Do you think that's why the best handling motor cars on the planet are made here in the UK? Well, let's go back. Let's go back to where where we started this conversation. Um, why is a car as wide as a car is? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. Well, it, there's a simple answer. When the Romans were building carriages, they would build carriages and chariots to be pulled by two horses. So you go to your local carriage uh, maker and you say, right, I want a new carriage. Well, he he measures the size of the asses of two horses and says, right, there you go. And it's built round there. Therefore, the roads were then built. Mm. The roads obviously then develop into modern times from the horse-drawn carriages that we remember from usually television shows and museums and things to motor cars, because they were all built to that size. So when you then came to motor cars, you already had that almost similar to out design wheelbase, which is the same wheelbase that went into the railways, but I won't bore you as to why. So our cars, you look at British cars going back into the 1900s, 1920s, where you've got Phoenix, made in Southport, Belsize, Crossley, 
Crossley of Manchester. I went past their building the other day and realised that it must be them. It said cross. It's still got Crossley Motors in very elaborate brickwork above the door. Above the door. I think it's a youth centre now. It's like a you know almost like a sort of a, a youth club, if you will. But yeah, Crossley of Manchester, and of course, famously, they only had one door, didn't they? You all you all had to get in from the same side <laughs> on a Crossley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But if you think, we had all these small manufacturers who were then making motor cars, which became massively successful, and probably the most successful goes back to what we were saying a minute ago. And I've just found the photograph whilst we were talking. 1923, he bought or acquired uh, an Austin, Austin 7, Brooklyn's bodied Austin 7. He just found the photograph. Now... Those Austins went on to be the seed that created Jaguar through William Lyons in Blackpool making Swallow sidecars, rebodying Austin 7s into the SS cars. Obviously, the name was changed for reasons of the 1930s. And also the Dicks, which, of course, was the BMW and numerous other cars, specials, etc., that rolled off the back of that little car, which is a British car. Lotus. No Austin 7, no Lotus. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no Austin 7, no... I, I, I'd argue no McLaren, no no British Formula 1 dominance, no... You know, the, the Austin 7 was the basis of um, the British specialist, sports specialist uh, car industry. And, and you could argue today, it's very simple to argue today that Britain still is the centre of uh, performance driving because you just need to rattle off the names. So you've got Caterham, you've got McLaren, you've got Bentley, you've got Twisted, you've got Ariel, you've got a myriad McLaren. Did I mention McLaren? Bentley, Aston Martin. You know, I, I, I have always known you, and Alex. You've, forgot, you've forgotten, you've forgotten that, um, another manufacturer who's, well, two other manufacturers... One, Morgan, who are still going. Yeah. And, of course, BAC, the only manufacturer who makes a single-seater factory production sports car, where it's gone from being driven as a modern, you go and get a modern Bentley Range Rover, whatever, that car drives you. Things like the Westfields, the Caterhams, BAC, etc. you still have the fun factor mm. of driving the car. And but you need, you yeah, you need our roads, don't you? It, it, I, I've never understood, particularly the Japanese, when it comes to British sports cars. And I think one of the one of the thing one of the telling um, things about their enthusiasm for British sports cars, and you'd know this, is that when they come back to Britain, as they inevitably do because of the strange protectionist laws that the Japanese auto industry has. Uh, managed to enact in that country so is it the cars can only stay there for 25 years and then they have to leave and then they can go back after a while it's it's very odd but they seem to come back with very very little use on them when i see them offered for sale it'll say straight off the boat from japan and it's a lotus or it's uh it's another performance car lancia delta integrale or something like that they've not been driving them the the performance fans over there drive the domestic product don't they they drive the Toyota and the Nissan and the Mazda. They the, the guys that are buying the European stuff, it's pure pause value. 
But there's also a very big difference in culture there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When when we were 16, 17, we wanted to have a car or a motorbike because with transport, it meant you could meet your friends, you could have a date, you, you, you had mobility. Now, I'm talking to friends of mine who've got children and their kids are no longer interested in cars. You know, I, turn, I turn up in a, in a Ferrari or a Bentley or whatever the car is, and the kids have no real interest in it. Whereas when we were kids and a family friend would turn up in an interesting car, you'd go and have a, a quick sort of drool around it. Out there, they've got such a fantastic infrastructure of public transport. Cars are luxury items, and they've almost become where the horses in our society today, where people had a horse because it was transport, and now they have a horse because it's a hobby thing, it's something to play with. And cars are in that league with them. We say that, we say that, I'd say every third show, someone will say that, and it's so true. I think Jay Leno was the first person that I heard saying it. the car will become the horse of the 21st century, purely for leisure and pleasure. Although, I say that, the other day I was in, um, I was near Carlisle, and I saw a totter. Would that be would that be what they say in your part of the world, Alex? A totter. A totter. What's a totter? A totter is a person who goes door to door with a horse and cart, um, looking for resaleable items. A rag and bone man, they call them in. in rag and bone man. Rag and bone man. A totter. And as I went past him, I wound the window down and went, "Have you fed the horse?" Like that, and he waved at me. <laughs> Yeah, but you, I suppose you have to be of a certain age to find that even... Well, when I say waved at me, he might have been uh, making a rude gesture, but, but who knows. But, you, yeah, it's it's a great point that you make, and and I think that, that I make as well, that we have a unique car culture here in the UK, but for how much longer? Because there's a generation that's come along that isn't really interested in the motor car, and I suppose in, in some ways... On, friends of mine bemoan that but I think well when I go when you and I meet at events they're always very popular events there's always loads of people there I went with a couple of pals mutual friends of ours to the classic car show at the NEC the last one that they had there it was absolutely rammed you could barely move yes it was mainly middle-aged guys and over but so what do you know what when it all when it all dies away like things do we won't be around. <laughs> we'll be gone. We're not going to live forever, well, there's, mate. <laughs> there's two things you say there. One is the reason my grandfather never got into trouble for stealing that car was his father said, well, motor cars are only a fad. <laughs> because people have used horses for over a thousand years to move things and themselves around. Yeah. The, the family business was horse-based, um, and so he wasn't particularly bothered. He, the, the car was admittedly replaced with a bell size. But um, you then go on today, and we're talking about cars beginning to peter out from aspiration. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, but I was at boarding school, and in the days where people would have a poster of, Ian Rush on the wall or a Saab 9 
one of the people in the, the dorm which had a Saab 900 Turbo. Hold on, I had three. Uh, I had three posters. I'm older than you. My three posters were the Fonz sat on his Triumph. Yep. Barry Sheen sat on his Suzuki number seven with his Donald Duck crash helmet on and the hole drilled in the chin piece so he could smoke while he was wearing his helmet. It killed him in the end smoking, but there you go. And, of course, like every young man of a certain age in the Western world, Farrah Fawcett Majors, come on from Charlie's <laughs> Angel. From Charlie. The poster, the one where she's sat in that unusual position and giving a... I mean, that's one of... I'm all, it, it, you, can, you can date me, you can go, yeah, the Fonz, Barry Sheen, uh, Farrah Fawcett, you're what, mid-50s? Yeah, bang on. So I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd put you at least five years younger than me, maybe seven or eight. Ten. Um, <laughs> oh no! I've ruined a, I've ruined a fairly decent friendship there. Sorry about that, mate. <laughs> Thank you for that, Barton. Right, but if you think about it, in today's society, every single thing you've just said is wrong. A provocatively dressed woman that'll offend somebody. A crash helmet for somebody to smoke in. I mean, you go back a few years before the likes of Barry Sheen, and incidentally, I've got his Rolls Royce sitting in the garage at the moment. Have you? Um, is it Shadow? Uh, yeah, Shadow. For, for sale, for, small, for a small um, fee. But um, smoking, I mean, crash helmets were only bought in in the 1930s. Prior to that, if you wore a crash helmet, you were considered to be a sissy. Yeah. Smoking was considered to be good for you. Now, all of these things are bad. Even ogling women are considered to be bad. <laughs> driving a motor car, driving a, a motorbike, that, that's bad for you. I mean, how does anybody aspire? Because I sat in my dormitory and I aspired to own a Rolls-Royce or a Bentley. Wow. Now, I aspired to own one because my father had one. Yeah, I was going to say, your father had one. So it's not, it's yeah. not, if your father's got one, it's, it's not like you were reaching for the stars. There was every chance that you were, and you must, how many Rolls Royce and Bentley cars do you think have passed through your hands, Alex? Well, I, you can see the things that you do during lockdown. I've actually been moving my office during lockdown and built a new office for myself, uh, or also, should I say, the office. Anyway, and I actually found some of my original notebooks, which have all the vehicles that I've ever gone through in my hands. And I spent a very sad, thundery, wet evening going through all the cars that I've had. And I can tell you, I've had just over 3,300 Rolls-Royce and Bentley motor cars go through my hands. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. 3327 3, was at the time when I did it. Well... And the strange thing is, a lot of those cars you remember, some of those cars have gone in one day, gone out the next, because they're very unmemorable. One of the things I've always tried to do, which is unusual, is I, I don't go to auctions. I don't, I don't particularly like auctions. But the other thing is, I drive every car I have. And... If you go to collect a car, it's rather like going on that first date you go with with a woman. <laughs> um, Women keep cropping up in this conversation. I haven't seen I haven't seen Karen. You know my partner. I haven't seen Karen since the fifth of January. Yeah, so if you could stop talking about women, I'd be <laughs> I'd be quite grateful, Alex. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, it's like the first date you go on with a man. Okay. With a man. Okay. But, go on. 
Um, when you go, you sit on a train, and it's that little bit of anticipation. You know what you're getting. You know what a silver shadow, a silver cloud, um, a vintage Rolls Royce. You know what they're about. You've had them through your hands. But there's still that journey. And it's the journey you go there, you look at the car, a transaction is done, you pick the car up and you drive it back. And my argument is if I can drive a car 200, 250 miles, I will know more about that car than if I'd just bought it at an auction, driven it onto a transporter and driven it off a transporter. If something is going to break over 200 miles, it should break. So you know what's wrong with it. Two, you notice the little idiosyncrasies. But the other thing I always do is I clean everything myself. One, it's good exercise, but two... You find money. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, no, you find all sorts of things. I find all, all sorts of oddities in cars over the years. But also, if you clean it yourself, you know about the car because you actually look and examine that panel. The, yeah. worst, the worst and the hardest deal I've ever done with anybody to sell them a car was selling a car to a blind man. Don't laugh. I didn't. This man, this man turned up with his driver, and he'd lost sight through some disease. And he felt round this car. Wow. And I'm thinking, any second now, he is going to say, you know, this is a joke, it's a wind-up. He felt round this car, etc., so it's had paint there, it's had that, that, that. And we forget that people's senses change. And so obviously his fingers are very sensitive and you could feel on the paintwork. Could he, could he tell if a car had been repainted from touching it? Yes. Wow. Yes, he could. He could, he could. If you looked at that car in the, in, in the, in the light, in fact, I've had that car back since um, I did another transaction with him. You could tell that the back wing on one side had been painted. But, oh, I mean... You and I, sort of being involved in motor cars, would nobody else would probably even spot it. And he, within seconds, said that back wing's been painted. He could <laughs> tell that. Did you suspect? Um, did you suspect that he still had some sight and he was, he was conning no, you on he, a bit? No, he wasn't. He didn't have any sight at all. He could see the difference between dark and light, right. and he could see very vaguely shape but he had to be handheld into my office. Um, but it's one of these things, it goes back to aspiration, which we were talking about with cars and bikes and things earlier. He'd always aspired to own the Rolls Royce. He was very particular on the colour. It had to be a particular colour. Yeah, because I, he'd remembered, remembered yeah. somebody having one. I, I can't remember the details. I, I totally get it. I completely... You don't have to be Marcel Proust <laughs> to want something that evokes he wanted something from a time when he wasn't an old an older man who'd lost his sight he wanted something that reminded him of a time when he was he was young and and his future was completely in front of him how much of the motor industry whether it be cars or motorcycles is designed to appeal to middle-aged men's nostalgic impulses a big part think, of it. A big part of it. They they know how to press our buttons. They know how to go. Hey, remember that thing that uh, 
Remember that thing you couldn't afford when you were in, you couldn't imagine you could ever had, have in a million years when you were 17 and riding around on a, a 1252 two stroke with a plume of blue smoke pouring off down the road behind you. Well, look, here's, here's one, here's one, and guess what? This one won't leak oil everywhere, it won't break down, and the brakes work. Go on, you want it, don't you? And you think, yeah, you're damn right I want it. <laughs> and you, that's, you, yeah. that's the reason that Jaguar Land Rover are rebuilding two-door Range Rovers and E-types now, because people aspired to own one years ago. Now, they can afford to buy one, but they want one like a new car. I think this is going to sound awful, because I think you're going to agree with me, and then it it's like we're being sort of elitist or we're more, I don't know, I'll just leave it with that, but I'm not a great, I understand the appeal of, of of vehicles that are rebuilt or remade or in the style of or a silhouette of a car or a bike from yesteryear, but I need the real thing. And, and one of the reasons I need the real thing is because I need to hear and feel and smell all that stuff from back in the day. I I don't want it with with anti-lock brakes. I want it with the old brakes that you had to be really super careful with. I, because the whole experience of... And I think you have to go on a long journey through your motoring career before you arrive at that place where you say, yes, I am deliberately choosing to drive a car which is, has heavy steering, uh, awkward brakes, and, in the case of old Bentleys, the most difficult gear change in the whole of motoring. <laughs> but you've missed something there, Steve. What's that? To add to the difficult gear change, is to put the accelerator in the middle. Yeah. So you've then got to remember which pedal to press. Yeah. And in, in that nostalgic way, I was driving this morning, I had to go somewhere, and I was using a... Ferrari Berlinetta Boxer. Oh. And Oh, come on. I mean, that is a car that sits in the garage and conspires how to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it is just a huge engine attached to a frame with an idiot sitting in it, which oh. is, in this particular case, me. Alex, and, the, the motorcycles of that era are equally lethal. They lurk like the Laverde Jotas and the Suzuki Katanas and the, you know, the Kawasaki Z1. The Kawasaki Z1 Turbo, a production motorcycle made by Fuji Heavy Industries, made by Kawasaki and sold to the general public. It was like having, it was like having a, a hand grenade <laughs> with the pin removed clamped between your jaws. It was just every journey. You know, I only rode the thing twice. Every mile on that motorcycle was ridiculously exciting, but but you had to concentrate because it was it kept trying to kill you. <laughs> I mean, uh, those Berlinetta boxes are the same. You've got little 13, 14-inch wheels, little skinny tyres, five-and-a-half-litre flat-twelve engine that takes up the whole back of the car other than the fuel tank. And you're going along, but the nice thing is you go past that point of power steering ABS, as you've just discussed. But as you're coming into a corner, you know you've got to go through the gearbox. You know you've got to drive that car. You come out of it, you drop through the gears again, but you've actually felt the road because there is nothing other than 
a long tube from the end of the steering column to the rack, which attaches to the wheels. There's no nice, soft, juicy power steering with little dampers and things to massage out the potholes in the road. No, this comes right the way through up your shoulders. Would you want to drive um, it? Would you want to drive it every day, though? I've used them. I mean, over the years, I've I've used them almost as daily cars. Um, I I think cars are much better used. I always think it's rather disappointing. Oh, yeah. um, I was talking about the collection of cars um, with somebody um, a couple of days ago, where some of the cars had thirty miles on, fifty miles on, and it it's rather like the kids who kept the dinky toys in the box. <sighs> And never took them out. I mean, what a sad, miserable childhood. You they must have they had. usually they usually turn out to be politicians or serial killers. Those guys. It's like, how on earth did you not completely destroy your toy cars? Were they not at some point filled up with red paint and shot at with with air rifles? And were they, <laughs> why didn't you do stuff like that with them? Why weren't they dropped down wells? And you know, when they'd eventually any other use had had, had passed them by, children but, but, children who put them away in boxes wrapped up in sort of uh, well, we didn't they didn't have. Uh, they didn't have bubble wrap then, but in tissue paper to be retrieved 40 years later and sold. Like people who've got records that they've never played. Don't trust those people. People, oh yeah, I've got a copy of I've got a copy of the Beatles or Elvis, but it's never been played. And you think, well, that's one of the saddest things I've ever heard. Just like a car that's never been driven. The, 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 but those people are not just dull themselves. They're the cause of dullness in others, aren't they? Well, because they you promote know, it. Because when these things sell for a lot of money, it stops people from using their car or their bike because, well, I mustn't put any miles on it. You think, well, what's it for then? It's just an object. You might as well have a stuffed zebra that you can talk. Oh, have you seen me stuffed zebra? Oh, that's good. When did you get that? In fact, the only person I've ever known that had a stuffed zebra was um, Richard Gauntlet. Who's far? We're to, c- coming back in the conversation. Richard and all sorts of well, other things. Aston Martin. Aston Martin, but his father. Well, yeah. it was his father. His father Victor, wasn't it? Who, who, who yeah. in many ways, rescued Aston Martin, and I think uh, made quite a bit of money from selling it. I hope he did, but because Richard's a great guy. But he, he had a stuffed zebra. I remember. I rem- I'll never forget that. I went, "Is that a zebra?" <laughs> I was in his. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's like I didn't know. I was waiting for it to move. We'd had a few drinks at the time. Uh, it, it was. Uh, in his place, but it's—I've completely lost the thread of what we were talking about there. Well, what you're actually going to is the fact that we've lost British eccentrics, have we? Because no, we haven't. haven't. Yes, because you've got you've got your man with his stuffed zebra. You, I think, came on a on a Bentley run with us, where we started off at somebody's house in Lancashire, and that particular person has a full size dinosaur skeleton. In his office, which is connected to his house. I mean, you walk, you walk in, and it's, there's there's a bloody T Rex or whatever it is. I mean, it's a huge bloody thing with big spiky teeth. Now, Alex, if point... you if you go back and listen to the previous episodes of this show, which I'm sure you will, and many people should, there's lots of old speed shop episodes now. The the cast of characters we've never had a woman. I, I'm hoping I'm talking to two women. 
because I think I need to redress the balance and we need to have a female voice on Speed Shop. But it's been exclusively men. But we have had some characters. Martin Overington, a guy who's who's been on the shoes, known to both of us, he sent me a video and I said, uh, you appear to have bought a, more, a Merlin engine on a trailer. And he, he'd fired it up. Right outside his house, literally right outside his front door. And someone was just filming him. But he looked as though he was like mowing the lawn. He looked as though it was the most, I mean, Martin's the guy. Many people will know the picture of the famous picture of Martin towing the a current Bentley race car to Le Mans behind his blower Bentley. And, and that picture, I'm, if you're on social media and you like cars, you usually get, get sent that picture of Martin about once a week or once a hey look at this people have never seen it you're like yeah i know that guy <laughs> but uh, like uh, i say you know uh, i think the english eccentric and the scottish and the the british eccentric is alive and well mate you're you're a i hope you don't mind me saying you're you're a little eccentric yourself i'm totally bonkers i mean but i i'm lucky i'm lucky though because i'm in an industry where eccentricity is accepted so if if you think if i was uh, a doctor, an accountant, um, something professional well, where you're having to like see your people in a certain way. Yeah, well, like your father. My father was a surgeon. So, you know, you yeah, eccent- have- what you don't want is an eccentric surgeon. If you're having to have a limb removed, the last thing you want is a guy who's got a revolving bow tie and plays a practical joke on you. In the, on the way, to, you, you like you're saying, you want someone who is completely straight ahead, who inspires feelings of confidence. But like I, like you're saying now, I've met so many uh, Andre Bloom, Stanley Mann. Uh, um, I've mentioned more names, but I think some of them might bridle at accusations of eccentricity, but they are eccentric. <laughs> I've, I've, I've never met, I've never met a dealer in interesting cars at the level that you're at who wasn't really unusual, a really unusual, often unique person. It seems to attract the people who sell the high end. Ferrari, Aston Martin, Alfa Romeo, Lancia, Porsche, Bentley, Rolls Royce, at the at the at the high end, they're all weirdos. Sorry, mate, but you 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 are. No, but I think I think I think I think I think you're absolutely right because if you're an enthusiast and you enjoy your hobby and it's part of your business, you don't have to conform. If I had to conform to being politically correct, well, I mean, I'd last about 10 minutes yeah, before I'd, I'd offend no, somebody. You, you wouldn't last um, 10 minutes, mate. You might last five. But here's the thing. You, the difference between, like my pal who sells uh, Toyota for a living, great guy, was at school with him, great guy. He didn't start with a collection of Toyotas and then get into the selling Toyotas business. It's a job. He got a job. He's worked his way up the tree. He runs a big Toyota dealership now. Great guy. His interesting cars is hmm, passing. You and people like you, it's an all-consuming passion. It is an all-consuming passion. But I, I remember being at the situation where I'd done it for a long time. I you know, had my own home. I was you know, feeling very much at the sort of height of uh, my, my career. And my my elderly father came to see me um, one day and he said to me, he said, have you ever considered getting a proper job? 
it's funny because, because he was of the old school where you had a profession. So whether you be a lawyer, yeah. an accountant, a doctor, you had in the profession. And car dealers were looked down upon. Now, nobody would have said to Jack Barkley, um, oh, you're a second-hand car dealer. You can take that analogy further along. Um, Charles Stuart Rolls, founder of Rolls-Royce, car dealer. Yeah. Um, W.O. Bentley, car dealer. You'd never say that to those or Frank Sitton or any of those those people, but it's always been in many people's eyes looked down upon. It's caddish. If you it's are, caddish, it, yeah. it is, it's caddish. If you were casting an Ealing comedy of the black and white nature, you'd always you, it, it'd be a toss up between Terry Thomas and Leslie Phillips, wouldn't it? Because no matter how expensive the metal, you're still a second hand car dealer, pal. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to say, if I wasn't a four-foot midget and a dwarf, I would probably... <laughs> and, 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 nor, and, and Northern, you know, you'd be, you'd be referring to me as Boise, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, well I wouldn't. I, I don't think there's anything. I, I, I think the reputation of, of second-hand car dealers is, is, is much maligned because, you know, I know so many people like yourself, and I know people... Who, I was with a guy yesterday, and he is kind of, he is the little to your waitrose, if that if that makes any sense. <laughs> he does deal in, in in old cars, in classic cars, but it's very much at the at the bottom end. And 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 here's the thing, even at that end, there's huge enthusiasm and people. Again, it's an all-consuming passion for him and for the people who pay a few thousand pounds for the old Ford Anglias and Morris Miners and Hillman Minxes and stuff like that, that he, that, you know, that form his inventory, as uh, our North American cousins would say. Um, but that goes back to your, your your comment before about this being a slightly eccentric, slightly bonkers passion, because to the person who has no understanding of cars, motorbikes, or anything that's essentially around the internal combustion engine and transport they don't see the enthusiasm we have you drive an electric car some electric cars are absolutely fantastic when they don't go on fire and go flat but they are you know <laughs> yeah go on I mean, yeah no you're right you wouldn't last five minutes electric- alex in a, in a normal job you well, wouldn't last five minutes the electric car is considered to be new technology yet the electric cars held land speed record until i think it was about 1906 yeah or 1908 i can't remember yeah. It was electric cars, not internal combustion engine. But when you actually have that, when I go out and I get into you know, a vintage Bentley and you crank it over, it fires up and you hear eight litres being oh. fed by you know, SU carburetors into a big fishtail exhaust that is fantastic, and I, I got I got caught um, in the time of the protest in London by a couple of ladies, and I, I'm using that in the most um, loose sense of the word. And they told me off for driving a vintage Bentley. God, I can just imagine were, your, just imagine your response. <laughs> was you know. I was wearing a cardigan. I mean, you know, you can't you can't be offensive. Yeah, it's hard. To, cardigan, it's hard to be aggressive in a cardigan, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 
they, one of them was smoking her anti-God cigarette, and her friend had decided to film film me as I got my public bollocking. And I was going to explain, well, hang on, the leather in this car, which was made in the 1920s, is a byproduct of meat. It is the skin of a cow. The carpets are made out of Dolly the Sheep's winter coat. The wood didn't come like your phone from China, but came from um, ash trees and oak trees uh, grown in England. The metal and the fabric covering are all uh, local things. And perhaps the more important thing is this vehicle is still being used nearly 100 years after it was built. Yeah. 90 years after it was built. So that is the ultimate recycling. It's gone from one person to the next person to the next person. Yes, it's shed its body. It left Bentley's works with a formal four-door saloon body. And after the war, that was taken off and it ended up with the traditional green, open, four-seater Torah Bentley, which goes back to you know, your iconic images of cars earlier on. It's an iconic sort of Bentley look. Oh, and I was going to explain this to these two ladies as they were filming me, giving me a really quite vile bollocking. <laughs> but instead, I, 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 one of them said something that really upset me, and she said, you are equipped to murder your children and your grandchildren by driving this gas guzzler. So I just very politely pointed out that she was equipped to be a prostitute, but looking at her, she probably wouldn't have a very successful <laughs> career. Mate, you can't say things like that anymore. <laughs> and not you, and not you... when it takes at least two minutes to get a vintage Bentley to start, because you have to turn yeah. the switches off, remember which, which pedal does which, and which gear is where in the gearbox, um, as you alluded to earlier. So the getaway was not as quick as I would have hoped. No, no, no. But, but to make it polite for radio, I think that she thought and her friend did that I was a horrible little man. You've got to tell me the story before you go of going to buy the car that wasn't the car that was in the Which pictures. One? Is, this the, is, is this the man with the glass eye or the, <laughs> the, the, the Aston? I'll tell you both. I'll tell you both. I I came to look at a car, and I said to this chap... So, hold on. Uh, you, uh, just just tell us, when you say I came to... How, do you, how would you find a car? Because you, you said you don't like going to auctions. So, how do you find out about cars that you might be interested in? Do people call you up, or are you actively... Have you always actively sought out these cars? There's a mixture. Because it's your hobby as well as your business, you're always watching what's for sale, what's on the market. But also, you know, I've done this for 30-odd years now. Um, you know, I literally went, okay, I was involved in some other things, but I had an interest in motor cars from leaving school. And so I've been tinkering about with motor cars from the days of leaving school. So you're always, as it's part of your hobby, you're always looking. And whether that be the days of top marks exchanging marks or just having a quick scan at 11 12 o'clock at night before you go to bed across the internet and i went to look at a particular car and i said to this chap um i'm, I'm sorry but this car is actually wrong it should have the, the following 
And he said, no, he shouldn't. He said, this is right, most of them have been restored. And we had a, a debate as to the rights and wrongs of this car, and I'm sort of thinking, well, I've owned quite a few of these, I know. And he said, I think, and rather patronisingly, he said to me, he said, I think, Sunshine, you need a better eye for these things. And I said, oh, perhaps I did, being polite. At which point I noticed him turn round and he handed me something. And as I looked at what he'd just handed me, I realised that I had his eye, his glass <laughs> eye, staring at me from my right hand. Uh, I think every, I every, I think a lot of men from a previous generation um, who, I, right, I, I, I'll tell you my version of that. We went to see, I think it was, was it? Was it White Snake or Deep Purple? It was a heavy rock band um, at the Liverpool Arena, and a pal of mine, uh, a motorcycle, well, inevitably a motorcycling pal of mine, um, said he'd drive, and we went in his Range Rover. So, um, when we parked in a disabled uh, spot, a guy came over because he, he he noticed the sort of blue badge thing that we didn't have the blue disabled badge, and so he's arguing with my pal. So while he's arguing with him, my pal detaches his lower leg, which, of course, is not the one that he was born with, and says, I haven't got a blue badge, but will this do? <laughs> and handed him, handed him like the lower portion of his right leg, which is made out of, I think, titanium and carbon fibre, and, and added a, an Adidas uh, trainer on the end of it, handed it him through, <laughs> through the window. So this, is, this, this bloke gave you the, his glass eye. How did it... Was it slimy? Do you remember? It, no, I'll tell you what, what really resounded with me was the fact it was warm. And oh, well, it would be, know, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, you know, this is February. You're outside and suddenly you've got this sort of warm marble looking at you. So I, I didn't quite know what to do. So I handed it back to him and he didn't wipe it or clean it. He just, he just did something and pushed it back into the socket. Uh, <laughs> um, that certainly was possibly not one of my finest moments, but um, put me in my, in my place. Did you buy um, the car? Have... Yeah. You did? Right. <laughs> yes, 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 I did. I did. And in fairness, actually, I've got to say, he was right. He was right. I was right. I was wrong. And the reason was they changed the model, but that car itself had been registered late because it had gone to Jersey for the first year of its life. So it had a, a later date of registration on it than it should have had. So actually, he was right and I was wrong. Isn't but it interesting? We didn't find that out for about two weeks. Yeah, isn't it? In, do you not think it's interesting when you dig down into the history of vehicles and you find that you actually, instead of stuff that you've read in books and magazines that might have been written by an idiot like me who hasn't really done their homework properly, you meet the people who actually were there in the factories, building those cars, or in the showrooms, selling those cars back in the day. And they'll say to you, oh, yeah, well, what actually happened is they all ended up parked up in a big field in Bedfordshire for 12 months while they while they sold off the existing stock or what You know, you find out what went on behind the scenes. You find out the unofficial history, and you find out all sorts of interesting things. I was, I was reading something about... Um, a limited edition Range Rover the other day from back in the day. And they said, 
oh yeah, they couldn't get rid of that. It was it was the the last of that shape, so they stuck all that tat on it just to get rid of them, and then said that they'd offered them to valued customers. They just it was just an act of desperation, but they dressed it up as something completely different because at the end of the day, and and as 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 we've said, enthusiasts like us, we're the we're the worst people for understanding the nature of the industry, because the industry is, it's all about making money, isn't it? It's, well, most of the time, it's all about making money, and if it's not, those people go bankrupt anyway. So it, at the end you, of the day, what, it's all about making money. What you what you've missed there is probably one of the most important things that's been said in this conversation, and that is the people who are there in the day. You you, know, you look today at say, a vintage Ferrari, a vintage Bugatti, a vintage Bentley. And the majority of the people who are buying those cars new and tinkering about with them are now uh, passed away. They're dead. I was with a, a, a gentleman who you may or may not have met. I have a feeling that you might have met him who knows quite a lot about vintage Ferraris. Um, and at the time, he has told me the story before of owning a very, very famous and important Ferrari. He had, I think, 12 or 13 of them in the orchard at his home. And these cars were cheap cars. They bought them. They were used second-hand cars in the same way today you would go and buy, for example, a 15-year-old, 20-year-old Porsche Boxster. Nobody really has a great interest, and you can buy one for what three, four thousand quid. And he had sold this vintage Ferrari to a chap who had got back in touch with him some months later and said, "Look, don't really like this car. Don't want it. Can we do another deal?" And had gone to his home in the Lake District. During the course of the conversation, he said, "Really, I want a cheap." little car that I can run around in and would be useful to my daughter. So he said, well, I've got that Model A Ford over there. All right, okay, we'll do you a deal. So the deal was struck, and because of the apples in the orchard, he had a pig that wandered around the orchard eating the apples. And I, I, I said... That must have been the funniest deal in the world for you to have sold or done a swap for a Model A Ford for a 250 vintage Ferrari. Now a multi-multi-million pound car. He said, no, the strange thing was, he said he's watching a man try and drive a Model A Ford with a 15-stone pig in the passenger seat up the driveway with no second gear. Did that really happen, Alex, or have you just embroidered? I will, I will, I will actually give you the person's phone number to confirm that story, because that person is still alive, and I've heard that story a couple of times, but you would never, ever hear such a story unless it came from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Well, I've got my... In the same, yeah, I've in got... the same way, my, 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 you know, you get my grandfather, he steals the family car. It's the second car to ever be registered in Bolton, because obviously we lived in Entwistle as a family. And that little bit of DNA enthusiasm passed down from the chauffeur to him, created a motoring interest. That motoring interest 
spread down the generations and you're not now talking to me. That's it for another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. If you want to listen to it again, don't worry, there's always the podcast or you can listen to it here on Fab. There's a repeat on Saturday. See you next week.